Today, 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. I'm going to give you some meat here today. Uh, I worked for a guy in high school, a dairy farmer, who also ran beef cows, and he was a great guy. Learned a lot from him, Had uh, just was a salt-of-the-earth kind of guy, had a lot of character, a lot of ethics, and I really appreciated him. But uh, whenever I worked for him an entire day, there on the farm, they'd always feed me lunch, and so his wife always just put together just a, a good farmer spread, and it was always good. But he got he had all the beef that he wanted. I mean, they just kill cows, and he he had no shortage of beef. We're talking about it, and do you know that he would always he would butcher a cow, and he would have the entire cow ground up into hamburger. He said, I, I'm like, why do you do that? He said, well, we don't like steaks. We like hamburger. And, and I, I started asking some more questions. Well, he had been in, uh, in uh, a couple of, a car accident, and also he'd been thrown off a horse and just beat up pretty bad, and he'd had a broken jaw, and he'd lost a bunch of teeth, so he had, he had some uh, false teeth that he had to use, and so he didn't like steak. He had a reason that he didn't like steak is because he wasn't very good at chewing on that steak. And I said all that to say this, if there's ever been a day and age of Christianity where people aren't very good at chewing up their steak and they settle for something that's already ground up like hamburger, it's certainly uh, doctrinally the day and age that we live in. And so I'm going to try the best that I can to uh, give you some information here this morning that is, um, you know, not swinging from the chandeliers type of a message. It's certainly a message that's probably not going to help you with your emotional or your relational problems, but I tell you what it will do. It'll give you some understanding of the world around us, and it'll give you some understanding of things that God wants us to understand. Sometimes I think about some of these things, and I go, what good does that do me to know that? But the reality of it is, is it does me a lot of good, because the more that we understand, the less that we fear. And we've got a very fearful, in fact, Jesus prophesied that men's hearts would be failing them for fear, and one of the reasons that we get all worked up and worried is because we're really not grounded in the prophecies of the Word of God. And so 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 1 Paul says, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. I like that, don't you? We call that the rapture, our gathering together unto him. We're going to see Jesus when that trumpet sounds, and that's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter, uh, that would cover the news media, that would cover just a feeling or a sense of fear or anxiety that comes over you and you don't understand why any of that. Paul says that you don't be shaken uh, in any of these things, that the day of Christ is at hand. No matter what you see, no matter what you feel, if the day of Christ was at hand when Paul wrote this to the church at Thessalonica, then we're certainly a whole lot closer than they were back then. Let no man, verse number 3, deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Jesus referred to this as the abomination of desolation. And of course, he was quoting Daniel's prophecy, but this is the event that is being referred to as the abomination of desolation. Verse number 5, Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? Evidently, these are things that even though we're going to be raptured out of here, we're not going to be here during that time of the Antichrist, these are still things that God wants 
us in the church age to know and understand. Verse 6, and now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work and has been continuing to work since Paul's day. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Let here is an old English word that means to hinder. And so obviously language has been through many metamorphoses and just, you know, some of the words that we use today are not the same as they used to be. I know young people will say, that's sick, which evidently means that it's good, right? Or they say, he's bad, which means that he's good. And so all of that's happened over thousands of years, and so language certainly changes. But we have a word here that's a good word, and it needs to stay in there. Don't don't start changing the Word of God, because sometimes when you change it for something that's synonymous, it's not always identical. And usually it changes the meaning, but even if it doesn't change the meaning, it changes the emphasis. There are words that mean the same thing, but one word carries a stronger connotation than the substitute word. And so it's a whole lot easier to go to a dictionary and learn what a few words mean than to rewrite the entire Word of God and end up watering it down or perverting it with words that aren't the same. You change a word, you change a meaning, you change a meaning, you just corrupted the pure words of God. That is so commonly considered acceptable in modern Christianity today. Verse number 8, And then, Paul says, Shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming? That's Revelation nineteen, eleven through 15. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish... Why? Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. My message today is entitled, Preconditioning for the Antichrist. We're going to see a lot of different things. Some of it's academic, some of it's prophetic, and some of it's just so that we understand, you know, because doctrine and prophecy is either... I see one or two things going on in Christendom. I see either stuff that's over-sensational or somebody trying to predict things or to make the Bible fit with current events so that they can sell books and look real smart, or I see on the other side... I see pastors who just either they don't understand it or they won't take the time to teach their people this because, like I said earlier, this isn't swing from the chandelier or help you with your relationship or your emotional crisis. But the bottom line is too many of God's people, we assume that they know things that they ought to know, but sadly, they don't know the basics and the meat and the doctrine of the Word of God. I'm going to be giving you just a a hodgepodge of truths here today. I want to just let you know right up front, nothing that I'm going to give you today is what I would consider trying to be profound or to show you something that no one else has shown you. In fact, uh, for the most part, most of what I'm going to be giving you today, I got from my teachers and my mentors and from books that I have read on the subject. A handful of things, yeah, I've seen it on my own before I read it or heard it from someone else. But the bottom line is, if I heard it from someone else, the next step, and it's the same, what I did is what you need to do, you need to check out anything and everything that I'm saying from the entire Bible, from the Word of God. Don't ever trust in any guru or any bigwig like that they are the absolute authority. The book is the authority. 
and we are all students. Sometimes God puts men in the driver's seat, but whether you're driving or sitting in the front row or the back row, as God's children, we're all supposed to be heading in the direction of truth and understanding of the Word of God. So I hope that we'll give you some things here today that will be helpful and uh, not only interesting, but more importantly, help you to understand your Bible. Father, bless us today as we study this very important topic. Lord, I'm reminded that, uh, Lord, the Antichrist, uh, Lord, other than uh, the Scripture that tells us about Jesus Christ, there's probably not a man or a person that is spoken more of in the Bible than the Antichrist. And yet, Lord, uh, this truth is so neglected, it's either over-sensationalized or just uh, totally ignored. I pray that you'd help me to be a faithful pastor today, teaching the flock knowledge and understanding like Jeremiah said that a faithful shepherd does. And I pray that you'd help us to be attentive and help me to be interesting. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. According to what we just read, look with me at verse number 7. It says, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Paul's saying that the Antichrist has not showed up yet, but his spirit and this mystery of iniquity is already working in the culture and generation of Paul's day. But then he said, only he who now letteth, remember that word letteth means to hinder, only he who's now hindering will hinder until when? until he is taken out of the way. Verse 8, and then shall that wicked be revealed. The Antichrist, according to this passage, will not be revealed until he's taken out of the way. And of course, Jesus Christ on his return is going to take him out of the way. And the beast and the false prophet will say more about him in a few minutes. They're going to be cast alive into the lake of fire. So when he's taken out of the way, then he'll be revealed. The entire world will be going, that was the Antichrist? They're going to be so deceived, they're going to either think that he was Christ or they're certainly going to think that he was a great guy. But when Jesus shows up and casts him into the lake of fire, he will be revealed. We're not told to look for him, but we are taught what to look for. You know, I think about the beginning of the Bible, and it talks about the seed of the woman. But just like the woman had a seed, and that's prophecy of Jesus Christ coming, born of a woman. But we also read that the serpent had a seed. And that's what Paul's talking about here in 2 Thessalonians 2.7 when he said, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. You know what you have there? You have the seed of the serpent that has been working and beguiling ever since the beginning of the creation and will continue up until the point that this mystery iniquity culminates in one man, one person. We know him as the Antichrist. He's referred to as a number of different things, which brings me to uh, the first topic here this morning, and that is the names of the Antichrist. You should be familiar with these so that when you read about them in your Bible, you'll know who the author is speaking of. Paul talked about the Antichrist as the man of sin. We see that. We read it in verse number 3. We also read in verse number 3 that the Antichrist is called the son of perdition. Now, that's important. We're going to talk about Judas here in just a little while, and you're going to see that word perdition once again. And then in verse number 8, he refers to him as that Wicked. Notice in verse 8, capital W, wicked. Daniel, the prophet, on the other hand, and listen, Daniel is a a lengthy study. And so I'm going to give you some references. You can write them down, but I don't have time to read all of these references here this morning. Daniel refers to the Antichrist as the little horn. And that's in Daniel 7, 8, as well as Daniel 8, 9. He refers to the Antichrist as a king of fierce countenance, Daniel 8.23. He refers to him as the prince that shall come, Daniel 9.26. And then he refers to him as a mighty king, or as Clarence Larkin refers to him as a willful king. 
Daniel 11, verse number 3, And a mighty king shall stand up that shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. So there we see what Paul had to call, what, what Paul called him, what Daniel called him. And then, of course, uh, the apostle John, uh, who wrote Revelation, but also we find in 1 John 2.18 that John refers to this man as literally Antichrist. 1 John 2.18, little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. You know, if you look at most of the rule, world rulers, not all of them, and I'm certainly not going to name any names, but many of the world rulers are, um, are certainly under this category, Antichrist. They're all for peace and unity. They're all for social welfare programs, but not necessarily so great when it comes to truth or when it comes to biblical, biblically moral values. You take somebody who quotes a verse out of the book of Matthew that fits his agenda, and at the same token is in favor of the agenda of abortion and killing babies. I'm not saying that that man is the Antichrist, but I am saying that that man has fallen into the deception of the spirit of Antichrist. And I could go on and on and on. As they say, the devil is in the details. And if you're familiar with the Word of God, you won't be as prone to be deceived by the good things that many leaders are doing. And when they start trying to give you something for free, you better watch it. You better watch it. They're trying to buy you. They're trying to make you dependent upon them. And all of that is falling into the scheme of the Antichrist. And then, of course, John referred to him as the beast in Revelation 13 and verses 1 through 19. I would like for you to turn there, and we do need to read this particular passage. Revelation 13 and verse 1 down through verse number 9. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast... Rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. I'll call a time out, and I think it would be prudent to mention that there are allegories in the book of Revelation. There are times when John sees something in a vision, and what he sees is representative. He sees an ocean, he sees a sea, and then the interpretation of that is that that sea represents multitudes of people. There are times when there are creatures ascending up out of the bottomless pit that aren't uh, some type of a description of Apache helicopters, but rather they are actually spiritual creatures who right now live in the bottomless pit. And when that lid is lifted, they're coming out. And, of course, Satan is preparing everyone for that hour with Hollywood and all of the things. You remember all of the B-grade alien and horror movies of the past? I mean, a little bit scary, but certainly not realistic, right? You compare that to what technology is able to do today? You know, and and on that that topic, have you ever watched a... National Geographic special or a Discovery Channel special where they talk about dinosaurs and they use animation and it is actually realistic and they show all of these things that these dinosaurs were doing billions and billions of years ago from their hunting techniques to their eating habits to their mating rituals they even tell you what they were feeling on a certain day. I mean, they go and, and they present this as if it's true and it's totally fiction and they never bother to tell 
you or the young people that are watching it, that this is the imagination of someone's mind, and so people have seen it. And if you tell a lie long enough and loud enough and with enough confidence, anyone and everyone will be suckered into that lie. And so be careful of that. This beast here, this this beast that we're referring to is... Uh, each one of these aspects, the horn and the mouth and the crowns and all of these are representative of, of kings and nations and different things that will be going on during the tribulation period. Verse number two, and the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard and his feet were as the feet of a bear and his mouth as the mouth of a lion and the dragon gave him his power and his seat. Now, I don't know. I know that current events have changed, but most of the commentaries that I have read make a connection. The leper is a mixed race. You got yellow, black, and white. Those three colors in the leopard. Of course, the bear, as a general rule, represents communism or socialism. And the lion actually is representative of England. And so it's commonly thought that this beast will be English-speaking. I don't think that that's very far-fetched in my personal opinion, but I couldn't teach that dogmatically. Notice verse number 3, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is likened to the beast? Who is able to make war with him? There was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in the heaven. Now, I I, I failed to mention here, forty and two months. A prophetic month is often, or if you take that 42 months, how many years would that be? you got three and a half years here, which is the second half of the tribulation period, which is seven years. And once again, that's another study that I certainly don't have time for this morning. Verse 7, and it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. The saints here that he's making war with, now certainly the mystery of iniquity and the spirit of Antichrist and the devil himself has been attacking the church for the last 2,000 years, but the saints here in verse number 7 is not talking about the church, contrary to what many say, but it's talking about Israel, the Jew. That's who he's going after, by the way, God's chosen people. And um, and and then who it says all that dwell upon the earth and so forth. Verse eight and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. You're going to find here that those that don't worship and obey the Antichrist, they're going to end up being killed with the sword. You know, I've actually been witnessing to people and, you know, say, well, why don't, why don't you get saved? And they go, oh, I'm just going to wait. And, you know, if all this is true, I'll, I'll get saved in the tribulation period. I'll just won't take the mark of the beast. And, and, you know, you think about it, it's like how easy and simple, not easy, but how simple Is it to get born again right here and right now? All you have to do is put your faith and trust in Christ and His finished work on the cross and His resurrection. Just, you know, with repentance and just by faith, you become a new creature, your sins get forgiven, and you have a home in heaven. Why would someone want to go into the tribulation period where all you know what is breaking loose here on this earth 
and everybody is doing one thing, and you're going to have to stand out against the crowd, and you're going to have to be tortured and killed by the sword if you don't submit. Hey, you think the mandates are bad today? Well, if you don't do what everybody else is supposed to do, then you're going to lose your job, or you're not going to, you're going to lose your position, or whatever the case may. You're going to lose your place in line. All of the, listen, all of that's sad and bad, but it's nothing like what's going to happen in the future. And and listen, our message is preconditioning for the Antichrist. The fact of the matter is, is what we're going through here today is just stepping stones toward some big stones that are right around the corner. If in, um, Here is the patience of the saints, verse 11. And, um, oh, excuse me, I, I wanted to stop there at verse 9. If any man have an ear, let him hear. I'll continue on this particular passage here in just a minute. The, the next section, is, I'd like to talk to you about the characteristics of the Antichrist. Uh, the first one that we read about is that he's going to be a leader, a man with much charisma. Do you remember the olden days, I guess you will, where people were in leadership because they were good leaders? Have you ever turned on the black and white films of some of our past presidents and, and you listen to them speak and you just compare that to the men in our generation or here in recent times. And, you know, somebody that doesn't have any charisma and is not likable, there's probably, there's not much of a chance that they're going to get elected into any political office or place of leadership. People don't care about character, and I say people as a general rule, character and leadership, ethics and abilities those are all secondary to charisma. People vote for the people that they like the best. You know, I, I think that probably the previous president, one of the main motives is that he got elected the first time is because a lot of people didn't like the other option. But when a better option came up this time, people, even though... The reality of it is, all of the things that really matter the most for American culture, I mean, how many presidents do you know that kept their word and actually did what they said that they would do and was productive? And I mean, it, it was it was actually a pretty good four years unless you were a liberal. And, 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 and they, they played, of course, you got the virus. You know, we're going to elect somebody different and the handling of the virus is going to be so much better. How's that going? Anybody noticed any difference? Absolutely not. And that's what I said all along. It's like they're making such a big deal out of it, like the previous president was just dropping the ball and was just a buffoon in handling the virus. And the fact of the matter is, is it was the experts that were the buffoons they didn't know what they were talking about. And so the media just created a bunch of fear and emotions, and so people made emotional decisions, and now they're whining about the price of gas. And listen, you ain't seen nothing yet. Inflation, we're just scratching the surface of inflation. You can't just continue to increase the deficit and print out more money Somebody's got to pay for it, amen? So we ain't seen nothing yet on that front, and so just the, the list goes on and on and on. Why did I say all that? Well, there's a world leader to come that's going to be filled with charisma. I mean, he's going to have the right voice, the right inflection. He's going to have the right looks. I'm not saying he's going to be super handsome. I'm just going to, I'm just saying that his appearance and his tone and his voice and his words are going to be very gifted and people are going to want to hear him talk. I think personally that he's going to be able to speak and put together cognizant sentences. Unlike other leaders, you figure out who that is. Daniel 11, I gotta get, stay on track here. I'm only on page one of four notes. 
Daniel 11.36, And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that is determined shall be done. Then, of course, Revelation 13, verse number 5, we already read it. There was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. He is going to be a very gifted orator. Christians, beware. Listen, I, I, I understand that we all like listening to men that are great orators, who have the right voice and that are very charismatic. But the fact of the matter is, is that there are churches who have preachers today that are extremely charismatic, and they have built large ministries, but that same minister, if you want to call him that, is not telling the people the truth. And then you've got another preacher right down the road who's pastoring 15 or 20 people, and he has no charisma and no gift of eloquence, but he's telling the truth, and there's just not a whole lot of people that want to listen to that man. Don't get addicted to charisma. It's it's one of Satan's well-used tools. Get addicted to the truth. That's the best thing that we can hear is the truth. So he will be charismatic, but also he'll be a politician, a good, polished politician. Daniel 8, verse 25, And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart. And watch this, by peace shall destroy many. Watch out when they're talking about peace and unity, peace and unity. Jesus never said any such thing. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Jesus said, I came to put, put men and women at variance, at odds among themselves. You stand up for the truth, and everyone that hates the truth is going to stand up against you. And I say we stand up against them. That's an old-fashioned, antiquated concept, but we are supposed to earnestly contend for the faith. All right, um, and then uh, the last part of this section on the characteristics of the Antichrist is, uh, here's an interesting one. He's going to have an unnatural sexuality. Uh, he's either going to be asexual or perhaps homosexual. I, I don't know the answer to that, but here's what Daniel said in Daniel 11.37, Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. He's either going to be asexual, just disinterested in any, or this desire of women, it's a possibility that he could be homosexual. And of course, that's happening globally, not just in America. The acceptance of perversion, men with men, women with women, and then people who are confused and just choose from one day to the next whether they feel like a woman or feel like a man. And anyone with half a brain in their head is scratching their head going, this is total confusion. But then, of course, we're labeled haters and judgmental and unchristlike when, uh, according to the, the standard of the world, Jesus wasn't very Christ-like himself. But, but notice in this verse here, this is something interesting. I, I've never seen this before because I've never, I, I've never experienced a culture that there's something going on in today's culture that's, I've been watching it and I've been, frustrated by it, and I just can't figure it out. And the Holy Spirit said, it's right there. Have you noticed how this generation, and I'm not just talking about millennials, I'm talking about the younger generation that is alive today. Have you ever, and listen, there's always been a little bit of generational disconnect from the previous generation. I understand that. But have you ever seen a more extreme disconnect 
of a generation that just completely rejects their fathers and their grandparents' God and faith and convictions and standards. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) I have never seen it. It is uncanny. You take people growing up in good, loving Christian homes where the truth is preached and taught. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, religion crammed down people's throat. I'm talking about good homes where young people are taught, thus saith the Lord, and they grow up, they get on their own, and they totally reject it. And boy, you read their blogs and their justification, and boy, they've got it all figured out, but what they're doing is they're listening to social media and totally rejecting the ones who actually backed up their lifestyle with character and with ethics, and just total rejection of that. You know what you got there? You've got the spirit of Antichrist right there. He's not going to regard the God of his fathers. Oh, we don't want that old-fashioned religion. Thank God that, I mean, people today think that they've been liberated from the Phariseeism. I mean, now they can have their rock concert in church. They can dress however they want to dress. They can drink their, their wine. Have you ever seen it like that today? Oh, preachers like to quote these great men of God, but these great men of God, they would never have them in their pulpit. Some of these great men of God would go, they'd be in town for preaching, and and the pastor would take them out to the restaurant, and, and they'd see people that they saw in church last night sitting there drinking beer and wine, and they would, I mean, Billy Sunday would just, I mean, there'd be some gears stripping in his brain. But now we call those which are good evil, and that which is evil good. We've been liberated from all of that. You know, there's a problem there. And the problem is, is it's the spirit of Antichrist. My next section, and I'm going to go quickly through this because this this doesn't open up a can of worms, but it certainly opens up a, a lot of questions, and so I'm just going to hit it real briefly. The Antichrist has a connection with Judas Iscariot. You probably read all of these verses that I'm going to show you, and uh, oftentimes because this is a little bit far out there, not necessarily mainstream, but sometimes we don't make those connections that God puts these connections in there so that we can understand. Now, was not when Jesus comes back the second time, he was here the first time, right? He came as a baby in a manger. He's coming back on a white horse triumphantly. Well, there's some strange things about Judas Iscariot that are connected with Antichrist. John 6, verse number 70, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? That's what Jesus said. He didn't say he is like the devil. He didn't say, like some of us as parents have said, our child is full of the devil. He said he is a devil. In John 13, verse number 27, and after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus said unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. Remember when Jesus was baptized, that The Spirit of God descended upon him in bodily shape as a dove. He was anointed. At this point, Judas, who was a devil, now all of a sudden Satan enters into him. And you know, you've got the same thing going on with the Antichrist. He's a man that shows up, but then the dragon shows up and gives him his power and his seat and his authority. John 17, verse number 12, he said, While I was with them in the world, I have kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition. Remember I said that word perdition would show up again? The son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. 
Revelation 17, verse number 8. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. Revelation 17, verse 11. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. And then notice Acts one twenty-five. The apostles speaking that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas, by transgression, fell, that he might go to his own place. There's a connection. I can't tell you everything about it. I don't pretend to understand everything about it. But there is some very interesting and more than ironic coincidences between Judas Iscariot and the future Antichrist. Let me throw in some additional interesting facts. Just once again, I told you I'm giving you some meat today. Don't choke on it. Just chew. Don't swallow too quickly, all right? Just keep chewing. And if you got false teeth, then spit it out and cut it up into smaller pieces, whatever you need to do. Interesting facts. Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Remember, the beast is like a leopard. The spots on a leopard look just like a kiss. Three-letter words that end in X are mostly not good. You have 666. You have XXX. You adults can figure that one out. You have hex. You have sex. You have box. You have pox. Vex. And then, of course, tax. That's, that's a real evil connotation right there. Uh, if you look at John 6, 6, 6, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And then, of course, Revelation 13, verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. Notice the number of a man. And his number is six hundred three score and six. This is Revelation thirteen thirteen, the number of rebellion in the Bible, and then uh, verse number eighteen. What's eighteen? It's three times six 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 six. I personally, I don't believe. I, I've heard some stuff by preachers that I'm going, yeah, that's a stretch. Some of this stuff that I just showed you, personally. I believe God knew just exactly what he was doing when he put this Bible together, even with the chapter and verse divisions. Now, uh, the Antichrist, the Bible says here that he will have a prophet or a religion that has supernatural powers. Did I skip something here? He'll have supernatural powers. Revelation 13 and verse number 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth and the sight of men. Of course, Elijah... And Moses will be doing that in the tribulation period. Satan's always an imitator. Uh, remember Pharaoh's magicians who would imitate Moses the plagues? Well, Satan's always an imitator. And he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they uh, should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live, and he gave power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many would not worship the image of the beast should be killed, and so on and so forth. Of course, we've already read verse 18. In verse 17, it talks about the number of his name, and then we know that number to be 666. All right, so... Everyone is, um, excuse me, verse 16, 
If you'll forgive me a second, this is a lot of information and I'm trying to make sure that I, that I keep it in my head straight. If you notice here in verse 16 that he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. We're going to see here that everyone is going to be doing what they are told to do or they will be denied some necessities. You're not going to be able to buy or sell. Now you say, well, I'm just going to not use debit cards. I'm going to use cash or whatever. Trust me, there's no getting around this. And and I don't believe, I've thought about this. It's like, what about if someone is alive during this time and they just, you know, it's kind of like, um, like buying, getting a debit card or uh, scanning a code or whatever. And I'm sure that all of that is preconditioning our culture for the Antichrist. But, but here's what I believe. I, I don't believe for a second that people are going to take this mark without understanding the ramifications. I, I don't think that people are going to be accidentally, they're not going to show up at the store to buy bread and say, you know what, you can't have this bread unless you take this mark. Oh, okay. I, I think that it's going to be, it's the, the, the number of his name, and I believe that it's going to be connected with worship of the beast and that religion, and so they are going to be consciously saying, I accept this Antichrist, and I reject the Christ of the Bible. Now, I don't know all of the details. God doesn't reveal that to us, but I just don't think that it's going to be something, you know, especially in this day and age with technology, it's not something that we're going to accidentally take. And I say we, I didn't mean we, because I'm planning on being out of here. But if you should be left behind, God forbid and God help you, just remember that. You, you don't want to do that because you're not going to be able to say, oh, I'm so sorry. Judas said, I'm sorry. But there was no place for repentance. There is no repenting from that. You are doomed to a lake of fire. So please, better yet, just get born again now. Don't be here when all that happens. So in conclusion... Speaking of the Antichrist and all of the preconditioning for him, he has a mark, mark on the forehead or the palms of the hand. Let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a time in your life, in human history for that matter, when markings on people were more popular than they are today? I mean, I, 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 it's uncanny. Back, back in the day, you know, people would be in the Navy and they'd go, they'd go hit the bars and they'd get drunk and they'd go, they'd come home with a tattoo on their forearm, forearm. And, and listen, I'm not, I'm not preaching against inking, so to speak, right now, although there are some scriptures in the Bible where God says that He doesn't want His people putting marks on their flesh. That, that's, that's, the Old Testament God, though. Wait a minute. Isn't he the same one? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're intelligent. That's good. And I'm not saying if you have markings that you're going to go. So I had a young person here used to visit the church. He said, Pastor, if I get a tattoo, will I go to hell? It's like, no. Of course not. Going to hell isn't because of a tattoo or anything. Going to hell is because you reject Jesus Christ as your savior. But but the issue is, does getting inked glorify the Lord? Well, the same God says He doesn't want His people marking their flesh, then obviously it doesn't glorify Him. I, I, I like what a very intelligent young man said that we were concerned about him getting tattoos. And, you know, what do you think about that? He said, look, you don't put a bumper sticker on a Ferrari. Oh, yeah, that's pretty good. But it's uncanny how 
common. It's just people just do it without thinking anything about it. And we're not talking about just young or just any class. It is all classes of people, all genders of people. Getting marks on the body is just totally commonplace. And so I believe that there's something uncanny about that that is preconditioning a culture for the Antichrist. Uh, Also, we find that the Antichrist, that he is resurrected from the dead. We just read about that in Revelation 13. The false prophet's going to give life back to him. Now, here's something interesting in modern culture today. And you can Google this. You can check this out for yourself. But uh, find out how many superheroes have been brought back from the dead. Find out how many characters, Hollywood characters, that have been brought back from the dead. And it is getting more and more commonplace. And listen, I don't even know all of them. But, uh, you know, there was almost any super popular... um, I've never watched any of that Matrix stuff. Just something about that just seemed dark and evil. It's like that just didn't interest me. But one of the characters, he rose, got resurrected from the dead. Superman got resurrected from the dead. And you know what? There is a lot of parallels to Superman that are just little subtle things that I don't even know if Hollywood knows that they're putting them in there, but it's just little things that come from the Bible. And all these superheroes, and is not the Antichrist going to show up on the scene and he's going to be a world superhero? Supernatural powers, resurrected from the dead, and all of this is just preconditioning people. All of the, the, the alien fascination and so forth, that certainly plays into hand with it. Uh, he's going to use peace to destroy. Hey, what is the popular concept today? Peace and unity when it ought to be truth and righteousness. Jesus was all about truth and righteousness. The Antichrist is going to be all about peace and unity. He's going to be religious. Oh, excuse me. He's going to solve the economic woes. But notice how dependent that the world has become on the economy? You know, I thought about this. It's like, this world is so messed up. There are some people that can, that can live off the grid that have the means to do that. But you gotta have enough land to do that. If you don't have the land, then you're not gonna be able to live off the grid. You know, I, I, I've got, about, I don't know, 0.98 of an acre. I could take all of my grass and I could turn it into a a crop or a garden, but I guarantee you, year-round, I'm not going to, listen, I'm not going to be able to, I I don't have enough room for a cow, or, well, I could have cows, pigs, and chickens. I don't think my neighbors would appreciate that very much, but you, you follow what I'm saying. I guarantee you, nine out of every ten of us, maybe even more than that, if you wanted to be self-sustaining and not be dependent upon a grocery store or a gas station or the the electric company or any of those things, you 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 wouldn't have the means to do it, even if you had the not the know-how. Culture today is dependent upon the government and the economy. He's going to be religious. Ever notice the disconnect from scriptural truth and authority today among all of the religions, including the Christian one? He's going to betray Israel. Mark it down. He's going to make a treaty with Israel, and then he's going to betray them viciously. And uh, I think that... A lot of the world rulers have that same spirit of Antichrist. Just like Judas betrayed Jesus. Judas was one of the disciples. He held the economy, did he not? He wanted to control the finances. That was Judas. But he's the one that betrayed the Lord. And I close with this. 
2 Thessalonians 2, we've already read it at the beginning, but I'm going to read it to you once again. It says in verse number 10, "...with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved." You know, before you'll ever get born again, you have to first receive the love of the truth. And that's why it's difficult to witness to people today. You present to them the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that, you know, it's like water on a duck's back. It's like you talk about people being vaccinated from viruses. We've got a culture that has been vaccinated from the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, they've, they've injected just enough of Christianity in them, that they think that they're okay, and when you tell them about salvation, it's just like, oh yeah, yeah, I I believe that. Yeah, I go to, I go to church, and, you know, I got this cool church, and, you know, my, my, my youth leader, he doesn't, he doesn't go into all of this, you know, do's and don't stuff. We just talk about God and stuff. You ever talk to young people that go to these liberal churches, and that's, that they just think they're okay, and, You talk to them about the truth and they're like, oh, we've been warned against you. They've been vaccinated. Just a little bit. Deceivableness of them that perish. Why they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in what? unrighteousness. That's the disconnect from truth. Truth will affect your morality. If you think that worldliness and all of the things that the pleasures that this world has to offer, and you think that that is my pleasure and my happiness, you're going to find that the truth will wreak havoc on your pleasure life. And it's not convenient it's tough. You know what? People will say, preacher, if I, if man, if I, if I follow you and I believe what you're saying, I'm going to lose half my friends. And so we choose that social pleasure. We choose that social drinking pleasure. We choose that sexual pleasure. We choose that self glory. And all of those pleasures that the world has to offer because the truth wreaks havoc on those things in our life. They had pleasure in unrighteousness. As I close, I make this statement that I believe is 100% true. Man's problem today is not lack of information or misinformation. His problem is in his heart. His problem is, I don't want that information, leave me alone. I'm going to live my life my way. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, that is the spirit of Antichrist and it is preconditioning a world to receive him, to accept him, to believe him when he shows up with all of his lies, with all of his peace, with all of his smooth talking, And the whole world is going to think he's wonderful and the whole time he is totally anti-Christ. It is Judas Iscariot reincarnated. We need to be wise and we need to be, we need to make sure that we are ready that we don't get stuck here. And if we've got loved ones that are not saved, you don't want them to go through this because they're not going to be able to see. If they didn't receive the love of the truth now, then they're not going to receive it when it matters the most. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for an attentive church here today. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. And Lord, uh, thank you for a church that loves the truth and uh, wants to hear what the Word of God has to say. And I pray that you'd bless us and help us Lord, if anyone that's been listening today is not ready for this day or perhaps maybe has fallen into the snares and the traps and deception of this mystery of iniquity, and I pray, God, that you would open up hearts and eyes and minds, that we would receive the truth 
and that we would live our lives based on the truth of God's word rather than the lies of today's culture. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain seated with your heads bowed and your eyes closed as the pianist plays softly. If you've got something on your heart that you'd like to come forward to the altar and pray about, we'd like to invite you to come. If you've got something on your heart and you just you don't want to come forward, that's fine. Just right there where you're at. Talk to God. Tell Him what your concerns are. Tell Him what you're thinking. Maybe, maybe the Lord convicted you of something that you're deceived about. Maybe the Lord convicted you about a loved one that you've not been faithfully witnessing to. Maybe you realize that the time's getting shorter and shorter. You may not get another chance. Maybe you just need to thank the Lord for giving us His Word so that we can understand this strange world that we live in. That's a great joy and a great...